yesterday, we're going through a series called Post-Christian Antidote, which might sound cool, uh, but it's really just more Bible study, (laughs) Uh, which is good because that's what we need. Uh, Post-Christian is a word that we hear all the time these days going around. I, I thought maybe it was just pastor people that hear those words, but the more I talk to people who are not pastor people, they're saying, no, we get it too. There's something just disorienting about society these days, the cultural moment we're in. There's a lot of ideological warfare, no doubt about it. There's a, little, a lot of political syncretization going on. There's, there's just a lot of you know, struggle even internally within our own souls, warring uh, desires, warring challenges there. Even in our homes, sometimes we can feel very divided. There's a very divisive and disorienting kind of moment going on right now. And for us as Christians, uh, we, we're called to follow the way of Jesus. And, and right now, it, it, we have to find the way of Jesus and, and find what is not the way of Jesus because we're being offered so many ways that are claiming to be the way of righteousness, the way of justice, the way of truth, the way of Jesus. But there really, there's, there's only one. And Jesus said it's actually, it's pretty small. It's real narrow. You gotta get, you gotta really kind of get low to get through the gate. There's a lot of shrubs kind of growing over, and, and you, it, it's, it's work. You've got to find this way. And he actually said that there's few that actually find it. And then he said the way to destruction is broad, and it's a whole party going on over there. Everybody's hanging out. And so this is, this is our call always as Christians, but right now in this disorienting, divisive uh, climate that we're in, uh, it might be a little harder for us to find that. And so we're committed to try and help our, our souls, help our families, help our church let alone anyone else that we can, to find the way of Jesus in this time. And so that's what we're calling the post-Christian antidote. And this did come out of my time sitting in Ireland for the last nine months, well, three months ago for the last nine months. Uh, My family was over there, and we were outside the American bubble, outside the church in America bubble, and in a new bubble, we were in the church in Ireland bubble, we were in the Ireland cultural bubble, the European cultural bubble, and we were just there kind of feeling what it felt like and hearing what it sounded like. And, and it was a very interesting time. And it was in that time where I really began to fast and pray that I would get to see the fire of God really begin to take root and grow in that land of Ireland. And we'd got to see the beginnings of that, which more of those stories will come out over the subsequent weeks. But, but then, you know, coming back, I feel like what we learned there really does apply to us here in, in America as we're trying to navigate how we can keep from becoming post-Christian in our own souls and in our families and in our church. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, yeah, somewhat, somewhat. If, a lot of this was review from last week, so if it's, if it's not making sense, you can listen to the podcast last week. Hopefully that will help. We also did, uh, we're doing these deep dives on Wednesday night. So last Wednesday, Next, this coming Wednesday and the one after, we'll be doing a deep dive right here. You can come at 7 p.m. And we are answering questions. So you can ask questions at asklivingstreams.org. We'll answer any of those questions. But we also kind of unpack a little bit more of what, what we're going through if, if you're interested. Uh, it was a lot of fun last Wednesday. Uh, so make a note of that. But anyways, having said all of that, there was, a, there was a time where a guy named Martin Luther was living in Germany and he felt like the church that he was going to, called the Lutheran Church, uh, had, had gotten to a place where it felt pretty post-Christian to him. And so he took this document, 
where he basically was laying out 95 things that he thought were not right with, with the church, which is a lot. And, and, and he nailed it to the door of one of the cathedrals there. And on the very top of it, the first line said, all of life is repentance. And, and basically, I think that's true. And we talked about that in our Hosea series last, that God is always calling us back. We got to wake up. We are so prone to wander. It's important for us to remember all of life is repentance. But something else as I was studying this week, I really think is important, is that every single day, we need deliverance. Every single day of the life of a believer, and a non-believer for that matter, we need deliverance. In Jesus' prayer that he taught his people to pray, one of the lines is, deliver us from evil. That's something we were to pray often. Because Jesus taught his disciples, those 12 he had gathered and the others that would gather around, he taught them that the devil is like roaming the world, seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now again, that's not me saying, oh, there's a devil. We're using the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one that said, there is this devil, and he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy in this world. One of his disciples, John, wrote a book called 1 John, and the way he described it is he said, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. It's having its work. It's, it's waging war against the spirit of Christ in the world. And he was a follower of Jesus. And, and so basically Jesus is trying to help us understand that every single day we need deliverance. There are things that we're being delivered from, we're being protected from, that we don't even understand and know. And sometimes we do. And sometimes we feel it. And sometimes we experience it. But the devil is roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And like I, like I was you know, saying earlier, the ones that the devil wants to devour most are those ones in the middle, the ones who are wavering between two opinions, the ones who think they've got it because they, they got enough of Jesus to feel okay and enough of the world to feel okay. And those are the ones that the devil loves to devour because the ones that are not in with Jesus, you don't have to worry about that much. And the ones that are all in with Jesus, he's got no power over. And so we really got we to gotta pray that the Lord would help us all to not find ourselves in that middle. So anyways, but that's all the... And, and so I haven't been calling it the spirit of Antichrist because it just sounds too intense. But I've just been using the words post-Christian winds <laughs> that are blowing around us. But basically the same thing. And, and just in case you don't... Believe that. I have had some people say, why do you think that the world's in such a challenging place right now? I don't get it. Um, well, there's nine, peop 9 million people die every year because of hunger and malnutrition, and 3.1 million are children. There's 150 million people every year that are homeless. There's 100,000 people who die each year from drug overdose in the U.S. Globally, about a million children are subject to sex trafficking each year. And they're saying that 700,000 people commit suicide each year in our world. And that is the work, as far as Jesus and the, the writers of the Scriptures are concerned, that is the work of the devil. That is the spirit of Antichrist that is at work in the world today. And we are the people that are called to not just believe in the antidote, but in some ways even be the antidote. 
for the world that we're living in. And we're going to look at that today. So in 1 Corinthians 18, we have the second part of our post-Christian antidote. Last week we talked about coming out of hiding with Moses. And today we're going to talk about picking a fight with the darkness uh, from 1 Kings 18 with Elijah. So if you'll turn there with me. We're going to start verse 21. Is, a, is an important moment in this, in this passage. Verse 21 says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now this moment is a super intense moment, so i got to give us a little background. Elijah was a prophet of the God Yahweh, and he was living and, and, and trying to help people know the way of God in a time where the, the, the God of Yahweh, the God of Israel, had become something that was very minor, uh, and even in the periphery. The, God, the, the worship of the God Baal had become the main form of worship for the Israelites. And Baal was a God that the foreign nations worshipped. And, and, and through Ahab, who was the king, and his wife Jezebel, um, they had actually ushered in this era of of the Israelites were now known for their worship of Baal, not their worship of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and in fact, we heard earlier in this passage that uh, Jezebel had actually gathered together a bunch of the prophets of Yahweh and had them slaughtered. So it wasn't just that the church had kind of been beaten back, the, 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 the worship of Yahweh had been beaten back and, and is only kind of um, existing in the obscure corners of the nation of Israel, but actually there was a clear persecution for anyone who would dare to worship the God of Yahweh, the God Yahweh. And so Elijah, who's a prophet of God, he actually shows up on the scene in the last chapter and he goes at the word of the Lord to Ahab the king and says, hey, guess what? It's not going to rain for three years until I say it's going to rain again, which is wild. And uh, Ahab is probably like, okay, whatever, crazy guy. And, uh, and then Elijah flees and he runs out. And sure enough, six months goes by, a year goes by, no rain. And, you know, all of the, you know, wise people came in down. They're like, yo, no, we got this thing called El Nino. You know, it just, it hits us every once in a while. So it's no big deal. And then another six months goes by and another year goes by, no rain. And now Ahab's kind of going, hey, tell everybody that this is normal and no big deal. And then he's like, can someone find that Elijah guy so I can kill him? And that was basically kind of the backroom talks we get in the scriptures there. Uh, and then after three years, the Lord, word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And, and, it's, and, and the word of the Lord is now go to Ahab and tell him to meet you on Mount Carmel. And so Elijah goes to Ahab and says, I want you to meet me on Mount Carmel and I want you to bring all 450 prophets of Baal. And I want you to announce it to all the people to come to this place. And so all the people come, there's all the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah says exactly what we just read before all the people. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And then he basically sets up a contest in front of all the people. He says, this is what I want to do. I want to see which God will answer by fire. Which God has the power and which God is present and can answer by, by fire. And so he says to the prophets of Baal, you guys go first and you do whatever you need to do to get your God, Baal, to answer by fire. 
and then I will do the same after that. And all the people actually said, they go, seems good to us. I can almost just picture them being like, yeah, I was a little bored today anyways. So uh, anybody got some popcorn? This is going to be interesting. See what happens here. And so sure enough, the 450 prophets of Baal, they go first, and they, you know, start doing their rituals. They build this altar. They put an animal on it, and, and they're going through these motions. And it's, it's a funny story to read because Elijah's over here, and he's going, maybe you got to go louder. Ser- I mean, it's in the Bible. It's seriously in there. He's like, maybe he's, maybe he's in the bathroom or something. Maybe you got to go a little louder. More intense. He's just kind of over there, literally like heckling them. And they go through, and it even gets to the point where they start cutting themselves and doing all these other things, which is a part of, of Baal worship. And, and they're were, they were going through the whole process, and nothing. Nothing. And then when they were done, they'd gone most of the day. Elijah said, Okay, it's, now it's my turn, and, and we're going to read what he does in verse 30. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. And they all came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And then at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant. And that you, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So this is the word of the Lord. There's a lot to unpack in this passage in particular. A lot of questions could be asked. And Wednesday, at our deep dive, (laughs) we can get into all those. But basically in the story, we see Elijah picking a fight with the darkness, and the result is the fire of God comes. And last week we looked at how coming out of hiding, Moses came out of hiding, and in so doing, he got to see the fire of God come to the people, and it burnt away all of the people's bondage in Egypt. It set all these people free. And today we're looking at Elijah picking a fight with the darkness. And when the fire of God comes, what it burns away is the clouds of deception that held the people and held back the reign of God from bringing his refreshment to the people. And sure enough, the very next chapter, you know what happens? Rain just comes in like droves. Once the deception was lifted, 
the reign of God came in. And so for Elijah, what did it look like to pit a fight with the darkness? What it looked like going where God asked him to go, doing what God asked him to do. It meant acknowledging that there is evil, then identifying what was evil, and then going toe-to-toe with it, calling it out of obscurity, showing it for what it was, and pulling the captives out of its grasp. It meant calling people to turn away from their false loves. It meant putting his life on the line, literally. It meant preparing the altar of God in a simple way and praying a simple prayer of reliance on God. That's what it meant for him to pick a fight with the darkness. And so what does it mean for us in the 21st century? Phoenix, Arizona. Well, Jesus told his disciples, and this was just a wild thing, that, that, that he, he wanted them to follow him. And as they followed him, he real quickly, way quicker than I thought he should, <laughs> way quicker than the disciples probably thought he should, he sent them out on their own two by two, real early on. And he said, you've seen me cast out demons, and now I'm sending you to cast out demons. And I'm... I, I'm a little comfortable with saying pick a fight with the darkness because casting out demons starts to sound a little intense. But that's what Jesus did. One of the things that Jesus wanted his followers to do, one of the first things he asked his followers to do is to go out and cast out demons. And then... The very last thing, Mark 16, that Jesus says to his followers as he's about to leave them now, he says, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples, all of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, and these signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons. And so, if we want to be a fan of Jesus, that's okay. That's okay, maybe a good place to start. But Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He's looking for people that are not just going to be content in the crowd or on the sideline, but they're going to want to be on the field. And part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you cast out demons. You fight back the darkness. That might be trying to hold you, might be trying to hold one of your children, a spouse, might be trying to hold one of your family members, might be trying to hold someone you know. This is the call that we have. We have received the light so that we can carry the light into the darkness. And it's an intense thing. I'm not trying to say it's not. Um, You guys probably saw the movie Sound of Freedom. What it meant for this guy, I think it's Tim Ballard is his name, when he realized that, you know, all of God's people are his children, he realized that he was supposed to set slaves free. And it just so happened that he worked in the sex trade, like investigating and kind of trying to find people who were perpetrators of, of sex slavery. And what he found and learned over and over and over again was real intense. 
And at one point, the movie just kind of depicts, and this is a real-life story. It's not making it up. That this guy gave his life. His wife gave him permission. And he risked everything to go set these kids free from the slavery industry. And in particular, there was one girl that he just, he could not be okay knowing where she was. And when he finally tracked her down, she was way up in this like guerrilla warfare jungle spot that she could only get to up this river. And when he found out where she was, everyone was like, I'm totally ruining the movie, by the way, right now, in case you haven't seen it. (laughs) But you should have already seen it, so whatever. Um, and, And he puts on a disguise as a doctor and embeds himself up in this place and gets the girl, finds her, and gets her out of there at great risk to his life. It's a beautiful story of someone fighting against the darkness. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's cast a demon out of somebody, but there was a darkness that was holding this girl. And he fought against that darkness and she got free. Now, that's not what God's called me to do. I would be dead in a second. It would have been like, oh, I'm here. Oh, be the worst movie of all time. It would be the sound of nothing, basically, is what they'd have to call it. But some of you, might, God might be calling you to do that. There's a guy named Bonhoeffer who had an interesting call in his time as he and Hitler were coming into their own at the same time in Germany. And he knew that what God was calling him to do was to fight against the ideologies that were not only invading his country, but had taken over the church as well, the Christian church, the Lutheran church. And he spoke against it, and he, he, he said that the, the real Christians need to be the conscience of the state. They don't need to be the state. They need to be the conscience of the state. And by doing so, he ended up losing his life. It's a fascinating story as well. Um, I think one of the ways that we can fight against the darkness right now is we can all become young life leaders. Or a lot of us, maybe. Because the truth is that there's an ideological warfare going on between adults and the kids are the ones who are getting destroyed by it. Just like when Churchill and Hitler had their war, there was definitely damage in Berlin and London, but most of the damage happened in Poland. And our schools, our young people are the Poland of today. And we need people who will go on there, teachers for sure, administrators. I think it's great that there's a lot of Christian school options, but we can't forget that there's a lot of kids right over there that someone needs to go pick a fight with the darkness and help them know about Jesus' love and his light. And I'm, I'm thankful we have a lot of people doing that. But if you're sitting on the sidelines or you're just kind of a fan of Jesus, maybe it's time for you to get in the game and, and go help some people out. For Brittany and I, it's been, it's been foster care has been a huge part of this. And just to give you a little bit of insight, 
to what, what we experienced. We took, these, we took some boys into our home, um, and, uh, and it was just fascinating because obviously Brittany and I have our own issues, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're fighting darkness in our own families or in our own lives all the time. Remember, every day we need deliverance. But when we brought these two boys in, it was so interesting because it was real clear you know, just a few months in that we were fighting against stuff that we had never really fought against. There were challenges we were facing kind of, you know, spiritually speaking, and I can explain it more later, but, but I, what I realized was it was like, and when we invited them into our home, we were inviting the darkness that is a part of their family history and all those things into our home as well, and so we were fighting that in addition to our own fighting. And both of us said, yes. Yes. We're so glad that we get to engage in some of the darkness that's holding them. And we're still fighting that. So this is a few examples of different ways that we can, but obviously let the Spirit of the Lord lead you in the way He's calling to you today. And some of you, it might just be literally, you're just trying to keep the darkness from overtaking your own soul right now. And that's, that's picking a fight with the darkness as well. But it is true that as you continue to follow Christ and he strengthens you, he does want you to start picking the fight with darkness that's holding other people as well. It's part of the progression. So what are the ways that we fight? Now, we have to remember that when I use the word fight, I mean it. It is a fight. Being a follower of Jesus is a fight. Jesus, if you read through those Gospels, he was constantly trying to tell his guys, look, it's going to be hard. Just like they fight against me, they're going to fight against you. In fact, he told them there's a time coming when they they kill you, they think they're going to be doing a religious act to God. It's going to become a religion to attack Christianity. And that was true in his day, and it's ebbed and flowed throughout all of history to our day. And it is a fight, but we have to remember what Paul said. He said that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's never a person that is the enemy. It's the darkness that might be holding that person for sure. But our fight is never against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of the air. It's against the darkness. And we must remember that we don't overcome evil with evil. Never. Ever. We, come over, we overcome evil with good, is what Paul teaches in Romans. And the good that we have at our disposal, the, the, the weapons that we have is we are to create beauty, we're to teach truth, we're to serve up goodness. The true longing in every single human's heart is for beauty, truth, and goodness. And one other thing that I've been chewing on personally is this whole idea of our weapon is mercy. In Jude 17 through 22, there's this verse I'm trying to memorize right now. And in the end of it, he says, Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So as we're waiting to experience the mercy of God, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful by saving others, by snatching them from the fire. And to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And in some ways he's saying mercy is what we do. Mercy is what we offer. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the mercy of God 
that turns people's hearts. And so sometimes we show mercy by basically just noticing someone who's struggling and doubting, and it's okay. We just, we just kind of are there for them. And then there's some people that we actually need to snatch out of the fire. They need a wake-up call. The most merciful thing we could do is grab them and pull them out. I think of my brother, Peter. He, was, he needed to be snatched out of a fire of sorts. And my dad tricked him into going to South Africa, but he only bought him a one-way ticket. And he went there to go spend some time with my aunt, who was a missionary. And two years later, he came back, and he's never turned his back on Jesus again. He got snatched out of the fire. And then the last thing is sometimes we show mercy by having the fear of the Lord and telling someone we love, hey, we can't go with you down that path. I know I love you so much and it is breaking my heart, tearing me to shreds. The most merciful thing I can do right now is part ways with you. And I pray with all of my heart that I'll get to see you later on in a different space. This is how we have not just a form of godliness, but we have the form of godliness without denying its power. This is how we continue to be Christian, even if everything around us becomes post-Christian. Not by becoming, being lukewarm fans of Christ, but being full-on followers of Christ who listen to him, who look where his eyes are looking, and we go where his eyes are looking to pick a fight with the darkness. And one last thing before we close. That is the message, that we as believers, we need to figure this out. And again, we're not, we're not picking a fight with all the darkness everywhere at the same time. We're just, we're just going to the place that God is calling us to go. Not more than he's asking us to do, but not less either. But some of you need to hear a message a little more about wavering. Because the truth is, is you are stuck in the middle. And I, there's this kind of cheesy thing. I, it's cheesy, but it's good. Um, that I heard at this summer camp. And it was just a story of basically the devil was over here and then there was like this fence and then there was Jesus over here and then there was a guy standing there and, and the devil and Jesus were both making their claims as to why you should come to their side. You know, and the devil's like, hey, there's a party over here, you know. <laughs> like there's so many people over here. Everybody's doing it, man, come on. And then Jesus is like, hey, I can give you the real deal. There's nothing counterfeit over here. It's truth, it's life, it's peace, it's joy, the stuff that lasts forever. But it is, it is, it is work. It is a challenge. It is a fight. And the devil's like, no fighting over here, man. We did everything perfect. You know, it was great. And then in the end, it's like so hard for the person to decide that they come and they just kind of sit on the fence. And then the, the ominous like, phrase at the end of it is, when Jesus, you know, his head goes down, and the devil rejoices as the person sits on the fence. And the ominous phrase is, the devil owns the fence. And, and it's true that God right now is taking us through a time where he's removing the facade. He's carving out all that is counterfeit. He's gutting the church 
because there's so much of a form of godliness without any power. And so what are you going to do? What are you going to decide? Where are you going to go? Because the devil owns the fence. As Elijah put it, how long will you waver between two opinions? Choose this day whom you will serve. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that doesn't let us stay the way we are. And we thank you for your love that, that actually loves us the way we are and loves us enough to lead us out, to lead us to a new space. And I pray right now you'd really help each person to know where they're at, that spirit you would reveal to them how they're doing in their relationship with you. Reveal to them where the darkness is and, and what to do about it. You do the same for me, Jesus.